Do you wonder if others are dealing with the same project management challenges as you? Not sure where to turn for guidance and leadership? Office Hours are in session as we discuss project management and PMOs with global leaders, hearing their story and learning their secrets to success. Our goal is to empower you and help you elevate your PMO and project management career to new heights. Welcome back to Project Management Office Hours with your host, PMO Joe. Welcome, everyone, to Project Management Office Hours. We're the number one live project management radio show in the U.S., broadcasting to you from the Phoenix Business Radio X studios in Tempe, Arizona. I'm your host, PMO Joe, and for the next hour or so, we'll be talking project management and uh, a special topic for today uh, that we're going to dig into. Before we jump into the show, I just want to wish all of you project managers out there who are our primary audience, of course, happy International Project Management Day. Uh, this brings me back to a conversation I had with Frank Saladis earlier this year, actually back in March. Frank was a guest on our show. Uh, highly encourage everybody to go back and listen to that show because he talks about the origins of IPM Day. Frank is the founder and father of IPM Day. He was actually attending back in 2004 a PMI class, and the instructor Jerry Breitman had said, "Go out, and figure out how to go out and change the world." Frank, I think, did that uh, at least a part of it, and of course, a lot of people have come afterwards. Uh, but if you go back to that show about the 7:30 mark, towards the beginning of the show, that conversation starts where Frank jumps into that and uh, gives the story to find out how it all began. I also want to thank our sponsors for the show, the PMO Squad and the PMO Leader. Be sure to go out and visit their websites to understand about all the different services they offer. And of course, the PMO Leader is a global community that welcomes everybody in our profession to come join and participate. Lastly, a reminder to visit projectmanagementofficehours.com, home of the show. You're able to see all of the upcoming episodes understand how you can get PDUs for listening to the show, and of course, listen to all of our past shows and understand about the different guests we've had on. Speaking of guests, very excited today to have our special guests, Matt Hubbard and Mario Trentum. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Happy to be here, Joe. Matt, if you could... It's a great pleasure. Yes, thank you so much, both of you. Uh, Matt, if you could take a moment to say hello to the listeners and introduce yourself to them. Yeah, happy to do so. Hi, everybody. My name is uh, Matt Hubbard. On the personal side, I live in Chicago. Or I won't say in Chicago. People actually who are true Chicagoans loathe that I say Chicago. I'm an hour west of Chicago. I, I basically live in the country with my wife, Tina, and two daughters, uh, Savannah, who is 12, and Abby, who is nine. And as a family, uh, we are passionate about serving our community. In fact, um, this weekend, um, we're, we're doing a, a national trip. We're going to um, Lake Charles, Louisiana, who has had three Category 4 hurricanes hit them in the last 12 months. And then on Thursday, just this last Thursday, a class, what, what is that called? Uh, a Class 2, uh, they call it the F2, F3 tornado hit on Thursday. Same town. They just cannot catch a break. And so we're going to go down there and help with some rebuild efforts. That's just our passion. Education. I have a mechanical engineering degree from the University of Michigan. And honestly, I've never really used it. Um, <laughs> go blue. I should, I should, yeah, go blue. 
I should have probably gotten an industrial engineering degree because I found out later in life, I really enjoy process improvement. I like producing waste, improving quality, and just basically creating order out of chaos. So professionally, I've worked in automotive for almost 20 years, started in uh, supplier quality, did a little project management, and then really where I've settled is process improvement and citizen development, where I, I did do that beyond automotive. I did it in banking for about four years, ran my own consulting business for five years, and now I'm at Tractia doing process improvement and citizen development, where um, I'm happy to be, and I'll tell you more about that later. Awesome. Thanks so much, Matt. And uh, as a Michigan fan, I didn't attend the university, but I, uh, I am a fan of Michigan. And I can say one of the highlights of my life is when I went and visited off-season and, and you can go into the stadium and just see it, right? I was like, surprised. This is great. You can go into the stadium. And of course, it's, I think, the, one of the biggest stadiums in the world and certainly in the U.S. Um, and there's nobody there preventing you. So a buddy and I, we just jump, jump down onto the field. I'm running down the 50-yard line in the middle of the University of Michigan football field. My buddy tackles me and you're kind of just laying in the, in the grass making snow angel type movements. And then over the loudspeakers, we hear, get off the field. And two security guards come ah. running down chasing us. <laughs> uh, but I can always say I was tackled on the field at Michigan Stadium. Oh, highlight, highlight of my life. Yes, yes. That's a great story. I'm uh, glad to hear that. So, Matt, thanks for joining us. And, of course, Mario, uh, welcome to the show as well. If you can take a moment to say hello and introduce yourself. All right. So hello, everyone. It's a great pleasure to be here. My name is Mario Trentin. I live in Brazil. I'm based in a small city close to Sao Paulo. My, my wife and our three kids, we, we like sports a lot. We like mountain biking, fishing, uh, playing on open areas, so outdoor sports. It's really great time because it's a small city, so it's easy to get everywhere, right? And as a professional background, I worked in the Brazilian Air Force for 15 years between 1999 and 2014. I have an engineer degree, engineering degree and a master's degree. I think I used it. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I've been managing engineering projects and uh, industrial projects in, in the last um, 15 years, more or less. And then in 2014, I founded a consulting company. We are more focused on PMOs, implementing PMOs, not only in Latin America, but also in some organizations in Europe and a lot in the Middle East as well. And uh, working on PMOs, implementing PMOs and uh, managing some PMOs on behalf of our customers, we understood uh, maybe four years ago, six years ago, that we, we needed technology to empower project managers, business analysts, agilists. You know, we have all these methodologies and ways of work. But then you're doing everything manually. And uh, even now, we, we have um, hybrid uh, teams and remote work. I think that uh, understanding how to use technology on your behalf even though I'm not a computer scientist or a computer engineer, I can say that I am very proficient now in using everything that is uh, available to PMOs, to project managers in automated reporting, dashboards, this kind of stuff. Uh, 
And uh, I'm sure that this made me more competitive and more efficient. So I can manage more projects at the same time by eliminating some waste, automating. So it's been a really great journey in understanding more how to use and apply Citizen Developer Tools. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mario. And Mario and I have a little bit of a role of Verso. I think it was two years ago or a year and a half ago or so that he interviewed me uh, as part of the PMO Global Awards Conference. So it's, it's nice to be the host this time and not the guest. Uh, but a reminder to everybody that this year's conference is next week, uh, where all of the global winners will be announced. So head out to the PMO Global Awards website. Uh, you can get a link there to the Bridge Conference. And at that conference, all of the different winners will be announced from PMO of the Year. And we've got one of the finalists coming up as our final guest of the year in December. So excited. Maybe he'll get the victory and we can talk about what it's like to win that award. That's great. So welcome both you guys. Let's uh, let's jump in. So citizen developer is is really the main topic for today that brought us all together to have a discussion about this. And Matt, if you could kind of just give us the lowdown on what this is, because as a project management show, why are we talking about development, right? I mean, where what's the genesis of this and why is that important? Yeah, you bet. Uh, happy to take this. So th- this would be a bit of a long story, okay? Because I think I want I want to give you kind of an overview of what citizen development is, but then to to color the picture, I want to just tell you my story about how I became a citizen developer. Sure. Generically, citizen development is when you empower business people who are not trained coders to solve business problems through the use of low code, no code tools, which are tools that Basically, think uh, think assembling apps instead of coding apps. You are dragging and dropping elements to uh, existing elements to assemble the app. Um, this is why non-professional coders can build their own apps. It's through these low-code, no-code tools. So I, I, I think that that's just a basic description. Okay, somebody who is not a trained coder building their own app. That's what a citizen developer is. But let me tell you kind of how I became a citizen developer. Um, I'll kind of tell you in three phases. So the first phase will be before I even learned about citizen development. What was process improvement like for me when I didn't have citizen development? Then I'll move into what, what was it like when I did have citizen development and where am I today? So the first phase, uh, process improvement before citizen development. In the early 2000s, Uh, I was working for an auto manufacturer, and I was assigned to a very large North American project. It involved 13 plants in three countries, 60 project members, and all serving about 600 suppliers. And the objective of this project was to optimize and standardize the processes on paper. That was the first objective, so that these 13 plants are doing things in the same way as efficiently as possible when they're working with those 600 suppliers. That was the first objective. The second objective was control that process so that it happens the same way every time and establishes a baseline for continuous improvement. And to control that, we were gonna bring technology in. So the first objective, I'll say we succeeded. It was hard. Uh, Getting 13 culturally different sites to agree on the standard best practice was was difficult, but we were very proud of our teamwork. 
uh, and, and I'll say that um, we really did squeeze a lot of waste out of these existing processes. But then we moved to the second phase. The second phase was controlling the process with technology. And on this, I'll say I failed miserably. This was, this was my first project I was leading in the technology area. Um, I really didn't know what to expect. I thought things were going to be more like uh, efficient in terms of the time that it takes to develop. I was imagining more iterative. We would kind of figure things out as we go. Um, and I was imagining very cost effective. And it, and it was really none of those. Um, it was very expensive. We're talking in the millions. Uh, it took too long. We're talking years. And it was inflexible. I was basically told, you get one shot. That's it. You tell us what you want to build. And that's what we'll build. And if you're wrong, get back in line because we have a huge pipeline that these developers need to work on. Bottom line is we, we didn't end up building a system. We stuck with our spreadsheets and emails because that's the tool we had. And we struggled to control the process. Each site, we, we would rely on audits, uh, training and audits to make sure that they were following what we agreed to. And inevitably, there was variation at every single site because we just physically could not control it with technology. So um, I, I had a conversation with my colleagues based on this now new understanding of how systems are developed. I said, why can't, why can't we have, like, like, why can't business systems mature like video games did? Okay, so video games used to be these huge colossal consoles and they played only one game right and you had to go to like a bowling alley to play that game it was like what centipede or um i don't know can you space think of any, invaders uh, yeah oh space invaders that's yeah. the classic yeah. right and it, and it did only one thing and it probably i never bought one myself but it probably cost thousands of dollars to do that one thing and so atari came out later with a home console right which was not that expensive. It was like a hundred bucks, I think, if I remember right, for that console. And then you just bought cartridges for the different games and plugged them in. And so I was thinking, why aren't, why aren't business systems like that? Why, why don't we have just one platform, like a console that we reuse over and over and it has the fundamentals in it. And then you're just changing business processes by putting in a new cartridge, layering it on top. It sounded like a good idea at the time. We weren't developers. So um, we didn't know how to do that, but we theorized that we could cut the cost and the time down by a factor of 10 from traditional development. So obviously these thoughts were before low code, no code. I won't say existed because it's, it's always been a, an evolution, but before I knew about it. Well, unfortunately I didn't have it. And uh, in 2010, I was uh, needing to leave the company I was at for personal reasons. But uh, just before I left, uh, one of my colleagues said, hey, I was out in California on a business trip, and I think I saw what you've been asking for with this flexible platform thing. And I was skeptical, but I checked it out, um, and it happened to be TrackVia. He was introduced to TrackVia. Um, this was around, uh, yeah, around, around 2010. I checked it out, and my jaw dropped. I said, that's, that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's this low-code, no-code platform, which there wasn't a term for it at the time, um, that allowed people to drag and drop who are not programmers using the same foundation over and over again um, to build apps and solve business problems. 
the downside was I was leaving, right? So I'm going to a new company and I'm like, well, that was a dream that'll never happen. Uh, so I went to the new company and I was delighted. So this is going to be now my process improvement with citizen development. I was delighted to see that this company had the same process and system problems that the old company did. Turns out process and systems problems are pretty universal, regardless of industry, regardless of company. And so this was like a thing that I could probably do for my career. And I did. This new company I was at, they were very uh, supportive of trying new things. And so they said, yeah, sure. Uh, let's, let's check out this track via thing. But first, let's have IT do a rigorous check about the security. Like we, That's the main thing we're concerned about. We do not want an insecure environment insecure that sounds kind of funny right like it's, it's got <laughs> very sensitive it's got environment. Confidence issues. <laughs> yes it's very sensitive the it department <laughs> uh, yeah yeah so we don't we definitely don't want an insecure environment um but we, we wanted to um yeah just make sure it meets our, our our rigorous protocols and they checked it out they said yep looks great go ahead give it a try i learned the platform by just following the knowledge base and they had a bunch of how-to videos and I started building apps to solve my own personal problems. Um, again, sounds very like I'm bringing in a lot of psychology here. I? Like <laughs> my personal problems. Hey, we we dig deep on project management office hours. <laughs> <laughs> project management skills for life, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Uh, um, let me clarify my own personal um, process and workflow challenges that I had at work. And, and what, to my delight, I realized, wow, this this works. I am making my processes more efficient and more effective because of this tool set. Um, and so I taught my own team how to do that. So now we've got like three people who are quote unquote citizen developers and, and we're solving problems for our department in this low code, no code um, environment. And then others who were close to our circle of influence started to notice, Hey, what are you guys doing over there? Like this, you're, you're, cranking things out quickly and really improving our effectiveness. And so they leaned in and we taught them too. And maybe we had like, let's say five to seven people. Um, and a key point is in our circle of influence. It's easy to influence those around you, much harder to influence the entire enterprise. Um, but we built like 30 apps, had like 700 users. And mind you, uh, none of us were professional developers. Okay, there's a positive to that. And then there's also some cautions for when you scale. But I'd say citizen development became uh, like a superpower. It, it elevated my effectiveness for controlling processes and doing process improvement. And so I was convinced that um, probably every company in the world could benefit from process improvement, low-code, no-code technology, and citizen development. And so I... Um, Branched out on my own, I co-founded a consulting business that utilized continuous improvement principles and low-code technology. Ran the business for about five years, completed dozens of projects, and had a had a great time. And I, I felt pretty good about it. And now today, I'm working for TrackVIA. So um, when I was running my consulting business, uh, we used um, we got proficient in about five different low-code, no-code platforms. And TrackVIA was my favorite amongst the bunch. And so now here I am with TrackVIA and I'm laser focused, what I'll call the next phase of citizen development. And that's scaling citizen development. That's a whole different ballgame. Easy for a couple people like me and my colleagues to build a couple apps, right? And solve problems. 
But when you want to scale that across an enterprise, brand new game, new skill set that you have to apply. And so I'm, um, I'm approaching uh, uh, this, this scaling citizen development with our customers using a people process and technology framework where the people are the problem solvers in the organization. The technology is the low code, no code uh, platform like Trackvia. But here's the new piece. The process piece is uh, PMI's citizen developer framework. So I, I think if you're going to scale citizen development in an effective and safe manner, you better wrap all of this in a strong management framework like PMI has put together. Otherwise, you just have shadow IT. So in the PM industry, you know, a common practice is a, a non certified non-professional project manager still runs projects and we call them accidental PMs, right? It's, you know, it's the person in the marketing department or manufacturing or something and, and they lead the project, but they're not PMP certified. They're not CAPMs. They're not uh, trained in professional development. So translating low code, no code citizen developer is like an accidental developer, right? It's, it's uh, somebody who wasn't necessarily trained to be it but then now they are. Is that a, a fair connection to make? That's very fair. Um, I would actually say uh, using your accidental project manager piece, that's, that's what I was in the early 2000s. I wasn't PMP certified. Though I will say I, I read the whole PMBOK and I prescribed to the methodology, um, but I didn't go through the certification because uh, our company really didn't, it didn't pursue the certification. It, it pursued the results of the effort. Yeah, so I would say I was an accidental project manager, and then I became an accidental developer. Yeah, I did not intend to develop my own apps, but wow, when I did it, just a whole world opened up for me of improved effectiveness and just getting stuff done at higher volume than I ever could. And Mario, you're obviously a, a project background and experience with your, your consulting firm and others, but recently joined PMI, I believe to work on the citizen development program. Can you explain that transition to bring you into the organization and what your role is there that you're working with PMI to do with citizen development? Yeah. Sure, let's go. And then I'll give you some background on, on how, uh, as a project manager, I also implemented citizen development to, to become more efficient and more competitive. But I, I recently joined PMI in uh, helping making this connection with volunteers and chapters on what they can get from citizen development. Before explaining the, this role and, and everything that is going on uh, inside PMI related to that, I think it's important that we understand project management is changing. So people who are working with project management, like the three of us for more than 15 years, we, we see a lot of things, lots of changes. I remember when we started Agile and there was a lot of criticism in Agile when PMI embraced Agile, lots of people against and in favor. I think that we have uh, different skill sets that are needed uh, for what we call the future of work. So people have to be more flexible, lifelong learners. They have to use technology. You are working uh, from home, so remote work hybrid teams. So this is a whole new skill set, which uh, was accelerated by the pandemic. But if we, if we go back maybe five, 10 years ago, 
we already had citizen developers. It's just that we didn't have this name. But people using Excel spreadsheets, VBAs, they are kind of uh, trying to solve their problems in uh, different ways without professional developers. That's the summary. So, so you're not, uh, you do not have an architect, software developer, something like this to build a system or an application to you because it was always very cost-intensive and time-intensive. And as technology evolved, what happens is that now we have technology abstraction. You don't have to build everything from scratch. And think about a website, for example. Probably many of you already created a website. Like, like uh, I had to create a website when I was in the engineering school because we had to submit uh, the homework to a specific professor we had, and, and we had to do it uh, through a, a website. And for me, it was a nightmare because, you know, HTML right here and, and so on. Uh, you had to upload the pictures, this kind of stuff. It was really nightmare. And today, if you go to WordPress.com or Wix.com, these are low-code platforms. You just type the name, PMO Joe, I'll create my website, for example. And then it'll describe, I'm a consulting company, something like this. You already have the free populated website and then you just drag and drop. I want emails here, pictures there, and so on. So we've been doing this for a long time, but now we have a name for this because we we need to to more governance and organization as Matt described it. So people were solving their own problems through shadow IT. Maybe you know using uh, Microsoft Access, Microsoft Excel, other things that were not controlled, and now this is a big problem because we have the general protection data law, have security, much more cyber attacks, many more cyber attacks than we had in the past. So, so it's not the way we should go. And when we think about low-code platforms, you already have uh, built-in security, data protection laws, other things that, that make it uh, really easier. So uh, explaining uh, what happened in my career and then uh, how I joined PMI to help on that, by implementing PMOs and managing PMOs, uh, we find that, uh, you know, maybe the project offices are the, uh, I don't know, the most uh, outdated uh, departments in the organizations, unfortunately, because we have all the methodologies, PMBOKI, Prince2, PMO Global Alliance, all these methodologies, but no software system. Uh, the majority of the companies, they don't even have uh, something like Primavera or Project. They, they don't have this. Some organizations have, the majority uh, do not have. And when you go to the other departments, if you go to marketing sales, they have CRM, automated marketing tools. They are already doing this in uh, finance, um, you know, cost reimbursement. They have applications for everything. And when you go to the project offices, it, they are really outdated, so, so most of them. And uh, I noticed that we spent a lot of time doing work that uh, did not uh, add any value. So copying from a spreadsheet to other spreadsheet. And uh, some people call the project managers in the organization like PowerPoint producers. You get everything, then you put in a PowerPoint, and then you plan, you put in a PowerPoint, and so on. For example, back in 2014, 
I managed uh, eight projects at the same time as part of a program. And then I had a Microsoft project file on my computer, those MPP files, not shared. Mm -hmm. I had to create and everything. And then I printed this. I gave to the people so that they took the piece of the, the Microsoft project and they created Kanban boards on their walls. So they were in different teams. They took that thing that I print and they put post-it notes more detailed on their walls. And then when I had to create a report on that, they took pictures of their walls and sent me through WhatsApp so that I could uh, figure out a percentage complete on, on my, my Microsoft project. So this is extremely inefficient. So I've always been talking to other project managers and uh, project management offices uh, since 2014 that they should learn how to use technology, any technology. If they are going to use Monday.com, Asana, Trello, whatever, they should be learning these technologies. Because in the near, near future, that was 2014, the near future, the companies would not hire or promote people who does not know how to use the tools related to their professional. So, mm -hmm. so, so that's it. You, you, uh, when we think about citizen development for project managers, you do not have to build the finance applications or you know, sales applications, but you have to solve your own problems in a way that is, that is more efficient. And uh, I, I was very happy that PMI created this. I think it's something that dates back from 2018 or 19. If I'm not mistaken, it started in the Brightline Initiative. Uh, the Brightline Initiative is an organization sponsored by PMI and now absorbed back to inside PMI. It worked with uh, C-level executives, BCG, The Economist, Gartner, many uh, organizations that were discussing the, the next 30 years. And uh, they, they, were, they were discussing digital transformation, uh, technology is now uh, part of every business model. And I believe that this, this was the seed when, when PMI started discussing this. And in 2019, started creating the framework. I, as a volunteer during the year of 2020, I, I helped as a technical expert, let's say, or evangelist in the, providing feedback as a volunteer to the, to the content created, also delivering some webinars to chapters and, and volunteers. And uh, now this is a product and uh, a specific division inside PMI. So it was created outside like a you know, side hustle uh, to, to try and develop something new. Now it's part of PMI. And my role is uh, really to connecting this to the volunteers and to the chapters in, in explaining what we can get. I think we, maybe we, we're going to have other, other questions during the interview related to that. But just a, a quick uh, comment to conclude. Uh, I see lots of uh, benefits to the volunteers because the PMI volunteering base, if you're familiar with PMI strategy, so PMI 4.0, we, we have the project managers, so, so this is the center, but also we are broadening our outreach, extending impact, which is good because it's taking project management to other areas. 
but it's also absorbing other areas knowledge. Like we have business analysis inside PMI now, you have agile, discipline agile, you have wicked problem solving. Although not specifically like the PM Block Guide, but it helps in multiple types of projects. And when we think about citizen development, my personal experience tells us that uh, as an agilist, business analyst, project manager, PMO manager, it will be 10 times more effective. So, so in my consulting company, for example, uh, we manage um, five times more, more projects in 2020, 2021. Then we did in the past, in 2019 or 2018, with the same number of project managers. And uh, that means we add more value and these people also were promoted. They, they have better salaries because uh, they are capable of managing more projects. So, so I see lots of benefits to, to the volunteers, to the chapters and to the project managers uh, in general. Yeah, it's a interesting background and and i'm a non-technical person as well right i i but i have built websites and used tools like wix uh to do that because it's drag and drop and put a picture in and add text right it, it's straightforward to use uh but 90 episodes into this show we've talked to a lot of project managers and frequently i'll ask them you know how'd you get started in project management and they used to be developers as they were doing development they were the one that would always organize the team and make sure that they were working towards progress and eventually their career evolved away from development but into project management. So I think there's probably a very large population of our profession that already is starting from a point that where they understand development and they understand the, the effectiveness of it and the benefits of it. And you both have, have certainly described benefits of the citizen development, low-code, no-code movement but there's got to be some challenges to this as well, I would imagine. What, Matt, I mean, what have you kind of uncovered uh, on your journey with some of the challenges of, of going to this type of work? Yeah, there are definitely challenges. Um, I'm, I'm going to kind of describe two challenges, I think. Um, one that just, just entered my mind as you were speaking, Joe, is no code, low code is great. I'm an advocate. I love it. But it's not for every situation. There are situations where professionally developed custom applications are more appropriate. And so um, PMI is actually addressing this challenge in their framework where they've outlined an SDLC for citizen development. And it begins with the, the determination of is citizen development appropriate for this project? It gives three paths. One is, yeah, this is a great fit for citizen development. Let's get, if somebody is already trained as a citizen developer, let's get them to knock it out pretty much by themselves. And we'll just do some checks and balances at the end to make sure that uh, um, all of our security protocols and governance is met, but they're pretty much on their own. Second path is they can pretty much do it on their own, but there are integrations and some customization that are needed. So we're going to partner with IT and do some professional development and some citizen development. 
And then the third path is this needs to be managed by IT completely. We might have a citizen developer maybe do some prototypes real quick to help us with clarifying the requirements, um, which is, I, I'm going to digress here. Just I'm going to take a sidetrack here just for a second. And back in when I was the accidental project manager and learning about technology, I learned that I was asked for my requirements. And I've never seen this new process that we just designed in a system before. And so I'm hypothesizing and theorizing what I think the requirements are, but I don't know for sure. And so this is another area where low-code, no-code has helped out tremendously is, I don't know, I think this, let's whip that up in like 30 minutes and try it on for size and see if it's, it's what we think is right. And if it's not, let's adjust until we get it to the point where, yes, I've, I've validated this is what I want built. And so at the very least, it can be used as a rapid prototyping tool to make the requirements for the professional developer uh, more sound and sure. So that's, that's, that's one challenge, which I feel like PMI is, is, is tackling that pretty well by acknowledging that one size doesn't fit all. The second challenge and probably the bigger challenge that I'm more leaning into is just scaling in general. I kind of alluded to this earlier. Me and my buddies who are just kind of like in my team or connected very closely to my team, easy for us to use low code, no code and just knock out a solution and improve our realm. Doing that at scale is challenging uh, because it requires all the soft side skills, the management framework, the, the, uh, um, the relationships, the change management, the governance, okay? Those are, that's, that's a very specific set of skills that if you don't know them, you will likely fail when you try to scale to other people. And, and I did that. Like I was really excited about what I discovered with low code, no code. And um, our team was killing it. And I went to share it with teams that I had no influence over. And they just kind of were like, whoa, 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 easy there, big fellow. Like, I appreciate your enthusiasm, but that's, uh, that's not for us. Um, and not even really give it a try, right? Because I wasn't really going through effective methods of communication and change management and introduction, um, which PMI in their citizen developer framework is, is encouraging the right types of communication early in the citizen development maturity curve. and later to bring it to a, uh, a full culture. And my experience with not being able to scale uh, low code, no code in citizen development, now that I'm at TrackVIA, I'm finding that same challenge exists with some of our customers. Uh, we've got a customer who is just killing it with low code, no code, built a quality, system, a quality management system for themselves and, and influenced the people in his group to do the same. They're excited about it. Went to share it with people outside of his group. And again, they got the same thing. Like, whoa, 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 that's your thing, right? That's, that's the quality thing. That's not for the rest of us. And so I think, yeah, the number one challenge that I'm working on tackling is, is how do you scale this thing safely and effectively? If you just throw it out to the masses and tell everybody to go to town, oh, that's a recipe for disaster. You need to have some guardrails in place. And so when I joined TrackVIA, um, I actually didn't know that PMI was entering 
into the citizen development realm. So I started developing my own citizen developer framework. And it has a lot of the similar elements that, that PMI um, has. But uh, frankly, I was glad to find that PMI was entering it because their product is superior to what I would have put together. And PMI, they're a trusted and I'll call it neutral champion for this. Something that somebody from a low-code, no-code platform couldn't be as well as PMI. And so I've kind of set aside the work that I did to build my own framework and I'm I'm all in with PMI. I've I've consumed, I've got the book right here. I've consumed the <laughs> 250 page, we'll call it CD box, right? And I just align with it. My customers are aligning with it and I'm seeing it make a difference where that example I gave you earlier, where the, the, the gentleman built a quality management system and was trying to share that success with others, following the, the PMI five-stage maturity model and just making sure that you're, you're covering your bases in each stage, he's making progress that he couldn't have made before um, without this, this framework. Yeah, and it's, I think the explanation of the concept certainly makes sense, right? It's, a, it's a, certainly a tool we should have in our toolbox and kind of playing devil's advocate for a second within the industry where we get a lot of chatter just within you know, our peer groups of, you know, hey, why is PMI expanding to business analysis? Why are they expanding into disciplined agile? Now they're expanding into development? I'm a project manager. I, I, my projects have enough challenges already. I'm 50% success rate on projects. And now you want me to get distracted by this shiny new tool over here that's going to keep me from running my project successfully. Uh, Mario, obviously lots of experience in this space, and I'm sure you hear some of that same chatter. Yep. Why, why is PMI doing this, right? I mean, come on, you're, you're the project management institute, not the development institute. Yeah, I think that uh, PMI was bold enough to reinvent itself in PMI 2.0. And when we think about PMI 4.0 now, in my opinion, that's my personal opinion as a volunteer and being part of a PMI for, for a long time. I think it's really the leading professional organization. You know, we could, uh, as other organizations, have focused only on a specific framework, for example. We could be connected to PMBOK 4th edition until now, 2021, all right? That would mean, in my opinion, again, we would not be a relevant organization as we are today, you know, because uh, if we think about, uh, let's say, PMBOK uh, until 6th edition, 5th uh, edition, we didn't have even uh, Agile mentioned. We had stakeholders in 5th edition. We didn't have this in 4th edition. So if we think about PMI 4th edition, PMBOK guide, Fourth edition, and uh, if we, if PMI had heard uh, the criticisms in updating and expanding to agile to business analysis, I really think we we would not be adding value. So so we 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 hear now PMI talking about the change makers, because uh, we are not only professional project managers. So in my case, I'm an engineer and a professional project manager. It is a career path that made sense to me in the past, but if I was starting today, I wouldn't do it. So I, I graduated as engineer. 
I worked as maintenance engineering, mechanics engineering, and so on. Then I was in the engineering teams, and then I was engineer manager, and then I was project manager. I took PMP, and this was my career. Uh, if I was starting today, probably I would take the, S the ASM, maybe, so the discipline agile because uh, more organizations are embracing Agile. We need this flexibility. It is expanding our boundaries uh, outside technical projects to events, uh, human resource projects, uh, finance projects, marketing projects, and so on. And uh, really, if I was starting today, I would study citizen development and discipline Agile. That's, that's my opinion. So I understand that there is a lot of criticism in uh, every change, so so there are some people resistant, um, and, and and it's okay, I think. The from my perspective, I understanding the PMI 4.0 strategies published in the website. I think we are in the right path because uh, when I was working on project management offices maybe five ten years ago. We, we were trying to convince the organization that they needed project management. Now that the organization understands they need project management and the organizations matured to a level that they believe they should connect operations, IT, maturity, business analysis to project management, why would we keep inside the project management offices without collaborating to the other areas. And uh, another, another perspective is that PMI is offering new services, but that does not mean you have to take it all. So you, you don't have to take CAPM, RMP, risk, schedule, program, portfolio, PBA. You do not have to take all of this. It is just that these disciplines, in my opinion, again, they are really connected. So if we think about portfolio management, it's totally connected. It doesn't mean that you work with portfolio. If you don't, you don't take the certification. So, so that's fine. But these disciplines, they are connected. And I think it makes a lot of sense in creating the frameworks in a way that they are integrated to provide governance, as Matt mentioned. Because what happens if, if we compare again to Agile, and we were doing Agile before we had the certifications and the A toolkit and so on. But people started doing Agile because it's easy to start. They were doing in a way that it was not scalable. And uh, in some time, people were questioning the organizations. I saw some research mentioning that we spent, uh, I believe, 100 billion dollars in uh, wasted projects because of Agile. But the problem is not Agile. It is that Agile without governance and scalability because it's easy to start. So, so the negative points, uh, as Matt was mentioning, is that citizen development is easy to start, but uh, it can become real, really complex. And the pre-MI framework uh, stated that. If we think about the other platforms like Microsoft Power Platform, for example, you can use zero code, no code, some code, which is low code, but you can go through pro developers. So if you want to, to use uh, professional developers and uh, extend the capabilities, you can do it. So you can build very robust, scalable, and uh, secure applications. But in this case, 
if we think about PMI framework, as Matt mentioned, we have a suitability assessment in the beginning. If you can do it by yourself, so for example, I have my spreadsheets, timesheet from my team, I want to do it, you can do it. So, so that is the fast track. So if I want to do something that uh, is related to other departments, for example, maybe reimbursements in, in my projects, then maybe I need the assisted path. IT will be helping me. And in some cases, it's IT delivery, although it's low code, uh, you cannot do it without knowledge. That's why also we have the foundations, practitioner, the architect, and so on. And just as an analogy, as, as Matt was, was providing his opinion, I was searching on Google here, for example, the largest website using WordPress. So when WordPress started, people said that you would use WordPress only for personal blogs, you know? Mm -hmm. So if you Google right now, BBC America, Sony Music, Microsoft uses WordPress, the website, TechCrunch, and so on. And when you look at the, these websites, you don't know it's WordPress. Why is that? Right. Because they built on top of that. Mm -hmm. It's not uh, just the, the, the drag and drop. So I can create a low-code application, for example. I have a video on my YouTube that I create one in 10 minutes. But then I'm not thinking about uh, sophisticated data. I'm not, uh, I could do much more. So there are low-code applications that we developed with our teams that we needed seven people in three months, six months. But if we would, if we would do it with professional developers from scratch, maybe it would take more time. But the other thing, as Matt mentioned, is that low-code is not for everything. So it's not uh, as people uh, believe it that Agile was the solution for all, right? The traditional project management will die. So it didn't die. We still use front-end loading, Prince Chu, Waterfall. In industrial engineering, I have the same gun charts. It's the way it's supposed to be. We have fixed price in the contracts still. So it really depends on the type of project and in the industry that you were working. So when to use Agile, when to use traditional approach, or when to use a hybrid approach. This is in the PM Box 7 right now. Mm -hmm. So you can use a combination, but you have to use a combination with governance, not half-baked solutions. And uh, in, in citizen development, I believe that uh, PMI did a great job in putting up the framework. Probably there are gaps, so it will evolve so first edition, second edition, third edition, with the help of the community. So as more volunteers, more chapters create their communities of practices, the organizations are, are using the framework. The framework is going to evolve, but it, it, it provided at least guidance in uh, the steps that you have to follow the hyper-agile software development cycle. It provided guidance in the maturity levels that Matt mentioned. And uh, it also provides some tools for assessment and understanding when to use and how to use uh, low-code platforms and uh, use this citizen developer mindset. So, so maybe it's not for all the project managers, maybe, uh, and that's fine. But I really think that uh, it will add value to your company, to, to your 
day-to-day -day activities in making you more efficient. It is not only building application. Uh, this is one of the things that, uh, uh, I don't know, maybe some of the people who criticize the, the citizen development and low-code, not only at PMI and PMI volunteers, because we have this in the IT industry. You will find a lot if you, if you Google. So pro developers versus citizen developers, right? I think that um, a lot of people criticizing they didn't took the time to understand uh, what it is and if it's helpful or not. And if it's not helpful, you you just uh, not use it. But it's not only about applications. You have uh, automated workflows, and this is really powerful. So you can use uh, IFTT, you can use uh, Zapier, you can use uh, Power Automate, these tools to connect the triggers and then automate tasks. When I receive an email from my customer, create a task to someone else, send a message on Microsoft Teams, for example. So you would have to be monitoring your email, for example, wasting time and then posting on a channel and then creating a task manually. Why not automate these flows? So citizen development is more than the only the applications, mobile applications. Actually, we have applications, automations. We have virtual agents, machine learning and, uh, and artificial intelligence that can help you with data. And we have the dashboards. So if you're using Tableau, if you're using Power BI, this is also citizen development. You, you, do not, uh, you don't need code. You may use and extend, but you connect the data, you create the dashboards, and you refresh the dashboards in real time, consuming information from multiple places. I can get information from my ERP, from the PPM software, combine it to stakeholder satisfaction, and then... I use uh, very simple uh, formulas, divide this by that and so on. And I have very clear KPIs in real time for portfolio project management. So this is extremely powerful. I believe that uh, every PMO and every project manager should at least uh, give a chance and, and try to search some of these tools and, and case studies to, to check if this is going to help them or not. Yeah, and I. I think ultimately, right, the the decisions won't be made by the people providing the tool. It's by the consumers, right? It's kind of like saying, I'm going to put my house on the sale and I'm going to sell it for a million dollars. Well, if nobody wants to buy it for a million, you don't have a million dollar house. So you guys, both within PMI and TrackVIA and all the, the different shops out there working with low code, no code, the ultimate question won't be determined by you, right? It's the consumers and are they embracing it? And I think back to we're all old enough to, to remember when we would do email on, you had to have two separate phones, right? You couldn't have your company email on your personal phone because work needed to have those things separate. That's just ludicrous. How could we have work on email and your personal email on the same phone? But the consumers drove that innovation and forced organizations to accept that and forced them to find a way to make it be secure uh, and, and able to do that. So I think what we're going to find out is, will organizations accept the low code, no code? And I don't know if there's any um, data or any any market research done on this yet. Are, are results coming back? Uh, do we have any information on how well is this being received out there in the industry? Well, we have some some research 
on how that's growing. So you you see this uh, gardener, for, forester, not only the vendors, so so the research companies and the consulting companies. Uh, it's really it, it really takes time. If we think about IT, some organizations still use outdated IT twenty years ago from 20 years ago. If you think about cloud, uh, some organizations moved to the cloud uh, because of the pandemic in 2019, mm-hmm. although we have cloud solutions and cloud applications since uh, 2008 or 2006, right? So so you have the first movers, then uh, the majority of the people, and there will always be some people behind for a long time, maybe a decade. What we see from some of these research and consulting companies is that the low-code, no-code market market is forecasted uh, to reach $20 billion by 2022, so next year. So it's a big market. The other number we have from Gartner is that the number of citizen developers will be four times the number of professional developers. So more people using low-code than professional developers. Because uh, the the truth is we have uh, a gap in professional developers. So there is a deficit of uh, about uh, 500,000 software developers in the U.S. only. In Brazil, we have numbers similar. So it's 420,000 developers, software developers deficit. And uh, we just cannot uh, have as many uh, software developers as we need. But the question is, do we really need 1 million professional developers more? So some of the problems we have in automation, applications, and so on, they could and should be done by the users. So citizen development is about empowering users. It does not mean that you will be able to solve everything. That's why I recommend that you read the PMI CD book, the, the handbook, citizen development, because then you understand when you can use it, when you cannot use it, and how to proper use it. For the things that you can use it, usually it's time-saving and more cost-effective than going professional developer. So, for example, imagine uh, that I have to manage the timesheet for my team. I, I do that. And uh, then I have to hire 10, 10 developers to build an application for that from scratch. So I can already connect uh, to the other things that I have. Maybe in one day, I have a timesheet solution using low code if, if that's possible. So when it's possible, if you use it properly, you will have huge time savings and, and cost savings. And I think that uh, the industry as a whole is understanding that we have lots of organizations adopting low code, even the banking industry. So large banks in the world, they are embracing low code, uh, highly regulated uh, industry, the banking industry. And we see the others doing the same. I think it is a trend because of the cost reductions 
And uh, also, the platforms improved a lot in a very fast pace during the last two years because of the pandemic. If we think about uh, communication tools, collaboration tools, productivity tools, uh, maybe we had a decade in a year of development. So uh, now the question is, should, if I'm a company, should I develop my own project management software, for example? There are 20 excellent solutions out there uh, as a service that I, can, that I can pay per month, cheap, always updated. So should I develop something internally from scratch? And uh, now the organizations are making the same question or asking the same question for all the areas. Or should I develop my own ERP, my own CRM system? Should I develop my own integration systems? So first, in, this is my suggestion, learn what is out there. Check if you, you can use it, because if it's, if it's uh, already there, why reinvent the wheel? So if it's already there and you can reuse it or connect in some way, then it will gain time to market. And this is extremely important. Imagine that today, for example, you would create a training company or a university. You're going to build a, a learning management system from scratch. It does not make any sense. And then you are going to integrate the students with uh, the exams and so on. It doesn't make any sense. You already have platforms for that. You have low-code platforms for that, that you can start a training company just recording videos and everything is there. So uh, we see this in many industries. PMI had some events to different industries, so low-code in the health sector, the finance, and so on. I think that now it's time for the PMI community as the business analysts, agilists, project managers, change makers, that we also understand the benefits for us, project managers. So, so how can you automate your project tasks, and update uh, tasks on the field, uh, take pictures and, and update your project, this kind of stuff. And uh, then we will be more successful in helping the organizations to transform themselves. Because if you think about project managers and, and PMOs, we're working with all the departments, right? So uh, uh, that would be the same effect that uh, Matt mentioned. So if the PMO is using modern tools, automated, uh, related to project management, then they are talking to the stakeholders and providing a real-time dashboard, providing automated tasks, uh, this kind of stuff. The other areas are going to ask, oh, where did you get that? Uh, this is low-code platform we've been using. Uh, can we use that for marketing? They will get this. So this expands our, our outreach. I find it really very positive that as project managers and, and PMOs, the project offices, we can not only help the organization in manage their projects better using methodology, but also in a more efficient way using the proper tools and then, let's say, contaminating positively that they will use these tools, you know? Yeah, yeah, this is, you know, the, I think we've just, you know, hit the tip of the iceberg, so to speak, on the on the category. And, you know, unfortunately for us, our time is coming to a close here as we've talked through 
our, our window that we have available to us. But I think for next year, uh, I'd love to have you guys come back and revisit this with one year's additional experience under our belt to see how PMI, the program, and Track Via and citizen developments being accepted within the industry and and see the evolution, right, to, to the point of, hey, 1.0 is the start for this. So what does 2.0 look like? So thanks, both of you, for coming on today. Certainly want to give you a last chance of if people heard this and they want to connect with you, how can they contact you and, and continue that discussion? Matt, what's the best way for folks to reach out to you? Yeah, you bet. Uh, Joe, thank you for having me. Um, I can talk about this all day long and I, I shouldn't. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I will um, just conclude with um, thank you. I hope that we do do this again next year. Um, this is a journey, right? This, PM, this, this guide here is new. Okay, This year it's new. And so it will evolve. We will evolve. And so will our thinking. Think about it as continuous improvement. So, yes, I'd love to have that chat again. Um, if you'd like to engage with me over the course of the next year, um, I am happy to engage in conversation. Uh, I'm active on LinkedIn. So please uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can also email me at matt.hubbard at trackvia.com or feel free to visit our website, uh, trackvia.com. Awesome. Great. Thank you so much, Matt, for joining us. And Mario, same thing. What's the best way for listeners to be able to connect with you? All right. So thank you again. It was a great pleasure to talk to you. And you can reach me on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn, Mario Trenti, you can find me there. I'm always uh, active and uh, sharing things related to project management and citizen development. And if you want, you can also drop me an email. My email is mario.trenti at pmi.org. I'll be happy to talk to you as well. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mario, for joining as well. And of course, thank you to all of our listeners. Please be sure to head out to projectmanagementofficehours.com to check out all of our upcoming shows and of course the past shows. Um, also, we record these episodes. Uh, so be sure to subscribe to Project Management Office Hours podcast on Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Spreaker, whatever your platform of choice is. Our next show uh, here coming up in a couple of weeks, we always focus one show each year in November on veterans uh, as we celebrate Veterans Day here in the States. So Mario, thank you for your service uh, to your country as well. So we're going to have Curtis Brown, who's the military outreach person with the PMI Alamo chapter uh, joining us. And also uh, Kathy Christian, who's on the board of directors with VPMMA, the Veteran Project Manager Mentor Alliance, joining us. And we're going to be talking about veterans and project management. Uh, and then in December, we'll have Chris Ronzio on, who is the founder of Trainual, uh, an organization that's out there helping people put together playbooks and automating that. Uh, I wonder if they're low code, no code on their solutions. I'll ask them about that. Uh, and then we finish out the year with uh, Luis Guardado, who's the PMO leader out of El Salvador and one of the finalists for the PMO Global Awards this year for PMO of the Year. And if we think about that, the smallest country in Central America is El Salvador. And they have uh, one of the top four PMOs in the world right now uh, through the PMO Global Awards and Global Alliance. So hope everybody can join us for that episode. Thank you, everybody. Of course, thank you to our sponsors, the PMO Squad and the PMO Leader. 
That's it for now. Office hours are closed. Until next time, I'm PMO Joe, and you've been listening to Project Management Office Hours. Thanks for listening to another episode of Project Management Office Hours with PMO Joe. You're not alone in your project management journey. We're here to help you achieve your goals. Subscribe to Project Management Office Hours on your favorite podcast platform to catch all of our episodes and hear industry leaders share their story and secrets to success.